And uh, if you're getting your Bibles or Bible apps out, however you prefer, turn to the book of Revelation as we continue our study there, the 2020 study uh, that has brought us, uh, this is at least 76 weeks by my record. And so uh, we're going to be spending some time here in Revelation as we try to try to finish it out. So um, Revelation, remember it is Revelation and not Revelations. Um, and uh, it's always been kind of an intimidating book. Uh, it can be confusing, it can be terrifying, but as we saw two weeks ago, uh, that's not the intent of the book. The intent is to bless its readers. Uh, it's the only book with the promise of blessing for those who specifically read it. And, uh, and before we go any further, I do want to say uh, thanks to Kevin and thanks to the, uh, the youth praise band last week for filling in while I was gone. It's always good to get away, but uh, you know, it's always good to get back as well. Uh, so two weeks ago, uh, we saw Revelation is kind of like uh, the program, like when you walk into one of your kids' uh, school programs, they, they hand you the, the order of events. That's kind of what it is for God's people, uh, what, what is going to happen in the last days. In chapter 1, John, the beloved and exiled disciple, lays the foundation for the rest of the book and extensively describes who Jesus is. And church, um, even with all of this, uh, we have barely scratched the surface of his characteristics and, and who he is. I truly believe that. His power and his awesomeness. It has been all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And it will be all about Jesus. And so let's review what we learned in the uh, first seven verses. Remember, he is the faithful witness. It means that he has been watching everything that has happened since human history began. And when he comes back, he will testify of the truth, and his testimony will convict or acquit every human soul. Now, for the believer, we don't have to be afraid, because he is our advocate. He stands by our side. He pleads our case before the righteous judge of the universe. And so uh, we can rest in that truth that we see throughout Scripture. So what we see him as the faithful witness, he has great power. Uh, Jesus is also described as the firstborn from the dead. And that doesn't mean that he was created. It means that he is preeminent above everything else, everyone, everything. He is the one who died and rose again, never to die again. He overcame death. He now holds the keys to death and hell. And so as the faithful witness and as the firstborn from the dead, he has great power and he is of highest rank. We also saw that he is ruler over kings. And church, if he is not the king of your heart, make no mistakes. Whatever is the king of your heart will not satisfy. Only Jesus will. Church, even in all his supremeness and power and preeminence, God took the time to describe him as him who has loved us. Do you remember that from two weeks ago? Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus loves me. Despite your flaws, despite your shortcomings, um, Jesus has loved us. Despite my sin, despite my rebellion, despite how ugly my heart can be, Jesus loves me. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he gives it anyway. As the song Reckless Love says. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Romans 5, 8. But, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. He has loved us, and in that love, he has loosed us from the power of sin. His blood was the only sacrifice perfect and holy enough to pay for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. There is power in his blood. There is no limit to its cleansing power. Only it can break the grip sin and death has on every human soul. He has loved us, he has loosed us, he has lifted us out of the pit when we were covered in filth with nothing to offer and no hope that anyone would ever come and save us. He now makes us kings and priests to his God and Father. And we also saw, verse 7, he is coming. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. So the the fact that he is coming may have been the greatest encouragement to these original readers. Remember, uh, they were under great persecution. They did not, they would not bow to Rome and say, Caesar is Lord, because they knew Jesus is Lord. All of his character traits only added to the anticipation of his promised return. And so we pick up today where we left off last time, because there is much more. Verse 8. Revelation 1, 8 through 22. Now in my Bible, these words are read. That means Jesus is speaking. And he says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. History tells us it had been some 60 years since Jesus ascended to heaven, and even so, John recognized his voice. And number one on your outline, Jesus is Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega. Uh, now, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to hear in, in English, but um, those are the first and last letters of the Greek, Greek alphabet. And so for us, we could say Jesus is A to Z. Why does that matter? Well, think about this. Now, we have 26 letters in our alphabet. And with those 26 letters, uh, we can make every one of the over 171,000 words in the English language. We don't need a 27th letter because 26 is enough. 26 is sufficient. There is nothing lacking, and so is Jesus. The next blank on your outline. Jesus is sufficient. He is everything we need. He is, it's been said he's the, the sum total of who God is. Colossians 2.9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is comprehensive. Colossians 3.11, he is all and in all. The fact that he's Alpha and Omega means he is complete. And, and this matters in a few different areas. In relation to time, Jesus is first. In the beginning, before time began, he was there. He is here. He will be there in the end. And so we can trust him. We can trust that if he called us to salvation, that he will see us through to glorification. He is sufficient to do all of that. There is nothing and no one else that we need to make us complete spiritually. Jesus is enough. Only 
Jesus is enough. Trust Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Alpha, omega. Fullness of God. The sum total. All in all. This is the same Jesus that we serve today, church. Notice how Hebrews 12 adds to this reality of who Jesus is. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the alpha and the omega of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love how Tony Evans said it. God doesn't alpha what he doesn't omega. God doesn't alpha what he doesn't omega. Do we trust him to complete his will in us? Or or are we believing the lie that he's just left us on on our own? Do we gain strength to endure because of who he is? So in relation to time, Jesus is first for every moment in time, past, present, and future. Spiritually, he is sufficient. He makes us complete, and we can put our full trust in him. Because he is not bound by time, because he will complete what he has started in us, and because he is God, he should have first place in our lives. He should be at the beginning of every decision we make. He should be who we truly worship. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it will go a whole lot better for those of us who choose to do it in this life now. And not wait till that day. Jesus is first. His desires should be our desires, not the other way around. He doesn't follow us. We follow him. We are not Lord. He is. We should keep our eyes on him. He should be our focus. Jesus said in verse 8, Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That's the next blank on your outline. The Almighty. Um, Almighty, it's, it's a word that means he holds sway over everything. Think about that. He is absolutely sovereign what he says goes because he is the ruler of all if he wants something to go one way it will go that way it will only go another way if he allows it to go another way almighty speaks of his power the same power that we sing about so often the same power that rolled the stone away the same that uh, power that brought him from death to life now jesus displays that power over all we first meet God as Almighty in Genesis 17. So follow along with me. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Uh, the actual word for God there is El Shaddai, God Almighty. And, and it's the same characteristic that we see of Jesus here in Revelation 1. Now think about this. There can only be one all mighty there can only be one notice jesus isn't an almighty he is the almighty uh, el shaddai is not a little g god almighty he is god almighty so 
there can only be one Almighty, is it the God of the Old Testament or is it Jesus we see here in Revelation? The answer is yes. Yes. It's, it's more evidence that we serve this three-in-one God, more evidence that Jesus is God. Now for Abraham, Abram, and Sarah, they were given this promise from God to, for, of a son. They had been waiting for a long time. They were pretty much too old to have kids when he gave them the promise. And now some 20 years has passed, and God renews that promise of a son that he would use to fulfill the covenant and ultimately bless the entire world through the Messiah. And even though they laughed at the thought of it, God's response is found in Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That word Lord it's Jehovah, self-existing one, uh, the one who needs absolutely nothing outside of himself to exist. It's the same Lord who is God Almighty, the same Lord who holds sway over everything. Is anything too hard for this Lord? No. Think about that. There is nothing that God has to call back up on. There is nothing that God needs help with. He is almighty. He is sovereign. Now, compare their situation with the original readers of Revelation. Messiah has come. They recognized him. And now they're facing immense persecution because of their faith. At times, they would wonder. Okay, so God, are you going to come through on your promise of, of the, your son returning to this world? At times they would wonder, okay, so maybe, just maybe, Caesar is Lord. I mean, we know how Satan works, don't we? He still uses the same schemes. The same tricks he uses on us, he would have used on them. He would have sowed seeds of doubt, like, well, maybe Caesar is Lord. I mean, he's really powerful. Can anyone stand against him? Maybe I should just say he's Lord and move on with my life. And so hearing that Jesus is the Almighty, it might have reminded them of, of Abraham and Sarah's difficulty, their struggle. But more importantly, the next blanks on your outline. It may have reminded them of God's faithfulness, his timing, his power. His faithfulness, his timing, and his power that can overcome any obstacle. When, I, when you hear that word obstacle, what comes to mind? Maybe it's guilt from the past. Jesus can overcome it. Uh, Jesus says, you know what, I've already paid for that, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe the obstacle is uh, the pain of, of loss. Jesus can overcome that as well. He will be there to fill the void left behind by whatever you lost. And you can experience him closer than you ever have before if you will make him your focus. Whatever obstacle you are facing, Jesus is strong enough to overcome. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. Second Peter 1, 2, and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In his divine power, his, his almighty divine power has given to us all things. Say all things. 
things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Just so we're reminded, and us there in verse 2, it includes us here. Given us all things that we need. So when we often wonder, okay, Lord, how long? How long will I have to continue in, in this, whatever it is? How, how long will I have to struggle against this obstacle? How long before you come back and make everything right? And remember this about Jesus the Almighty. It is His grace that is sufficient for you and for me. It is His strength. It is His power that is made perfect in weakness. Consider the weakness of the cross, the power it continues to reveal around the world today. Jesus is Alpha and Omega. He is sufficient. He is comprehensive. He is almighty. He is sovereign over all. And number three on your outline, he's called the Son of Man. Son of Man. Uh, verse 12 says this, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Say, we will see later. Uh, these represent the church. Verse 13, uh, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were, li were white like wool, and as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was the, was like the sun shining in its so son of man it's uh, actually the name that jesus used most for himself more than more than any other and and we might assume when jesus talks about that when he's called son of man he's referring to his human nature but actually uh it, it's a whole lot deeper than that it's actually an old testament reference uh, we see it in ezekiel um, but the biggest and most awe-inspiring reference to the Son of Man is found in Daniel 7. It's one of the strangest chapters in the Old Testament. It's full of prophetic truths that we could probably spend weeks on. It, it, it's a vision that Daniel saw one night that greatly troubled him. It's a vision of four beasts like no other beast. So, so follow me here. Let's look at Daniel 7. Uh, the first beast was like a lion. It had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on feet of a man, and after, excuse me, stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Verse 5, and suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, raised up on one side, and had three ribs in its mouth. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had its back, on its back, four wings of a bird, and it also had a, four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring and breaking in pieces. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. There was another horn, a little one coming up from them. It had eyes like the eyes of a man, and mouth speaking pompous words. Verse 9, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was was like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame. The court was sealed, seated, and the books were open. 
Okay, so um, again, this chapter is full of prophecies. Um, but, but notice that word beast, the word beast. Uh, it's a word we first see back in Genesis 124. 124. It is the sixth day of creation. God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures after its kind and creeping things and beasts of the earth after its kind. And it was so. Uh, verse 25 says, and God made the beast of the earth after its kind. And he said, it was good. And we know for about two chapters, it was good. Because when we get to chapter 3, sin came in and changed everything. So uh, think about the beasts that we see in Daniel and the beasts we see in Genesis. Then answer this question. I think God's original design were beasts like we see in Daniel chapter 7. It's not. Uh, Were beasts originally designed to rule over man? is no. In Genesis, the opposite is true. Man is designed to rule over beasts. And so uh, these beasts in Daniel 7, they're examples of kingdoms of people who have allowed their beastly, carnal nature to take over and now represent the brokenness and evil that sin brought into this world and has twisted everything. These beasts are they're unrecognizable. They're not the good creation that we see God originally designed. They are evil. They're out of control. Uh, they are so carnal, we wonder if anything can ever get them under control. And that's where the Son of Man comes in. Look at Daniel seven eleven. Remember, we've seen all these beasts. Then Daniel says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is why Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. Because he came to defeat sin's curse and to make all things new, all of us who were under that curse. He is the only one that can overcome the beast. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is the one that will not be destroyed. His feet here in Revelation were, were like fine brass. His voice was the sound of many waters. Verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in all its strength. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. But he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things that you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place. This is... 
this is the foundation that John builds the rest of the book of Revelation on. And church, it is a solid foundation. Looking forward to where this series takes us. Finish up. As we go into a time of invitation, bow your heads and close your eyes. Do you know this Jesus? And is he truly Lord of your life? Is he Alpha and Omega? What does that title of Jesus even mean? Is he enough? Is he sufficient? Is he the Almighty in your life? We know that he holds sway over everything, but we also know that he gives us free will. Have you surrendered yours so that you can truly call him Almighty? What has God said to you this morning? And what are you going to do about it?